Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. I promise this episode is going to be what I promised it would be about in the last episode, which is whether there's a problem with the Phoenix Suns having the best record in the NBA and no starters in this year's All-Star game. But before I get into that, I have to get into some of the speculation generated by the approaching trade deadline. To be clear, there was a time in my career when I'd be on the phone pretty much nonstop trying to ferret out information on who was on the trading block, what teams were looking for, all of that. My last employer, Turner slash Bleacher Report, didn't want me expending my energy on all that because it wasn't worth it to them. Someone breaks a trade, it owns Twitter for about 30 seconds before everybody and anybody is retweeting it. Fox Sports has followed suit, which I appreciate. It really is a pretty silly exercise when you step back and think about it. I'm all for reporting and breaking news and all that. But can we name a trade deadline deal in the last 10 years that changed the power structure of the league or created a new title contending favorite? So let's go through some of the rumors out there, beginning with the Clippers, supposedly having Nick Batum, Serge Ibaka, and Avica Zubac all on the block. It doesn't really make sense. Zubac is 24 years old and signed through next season on a very economical $7 million per year deal. You may not have noticed, but Size, once again, matters in the league. Every title contending team is concerned about having enough big men and have at least one quality one. Zubac, at his age and his price, is indispensable. Batum is on an even more reasonable $3 million deal with a player option for next season. He re-signed with the Clippers last summer because he likes the organization and the organization likes him. He's 33 years old. He is a great locker room presence and was a big factor last season in the Clippers getting to the conference finals without Kawhi and Ibaka. 
He was good last year, and he's been even better this year. There's nobody the Clippers are getting that has more value for $3 million. It's goofy to even imagine that. Now, Serge, moving Serge makes at least a little sense in that he is a free agent this summer and for the most part has not recaptured his pre-back surgery form. Both Serge and Batum played outstanding in their one-point win over the Lakers, by the way. Just an indication of the chemistry that the Clippers have. And I don't understand why anyone thinks that they would mess with it while they wait to see whether Paul George or Kawhi Leonard are going to make it back. But good luck making a deal with Serge happen because I don't know that it makes sense for anyone to acquire him. He would be a rental, which means the appeal would only be for teams that think he can be the missing piece to securing a playoff spot or a title run, depending on where they are in the pecking order. I don't know that anyone can count on what they might get from him. The way he's playing right now, Lakers game aside, certainly doesn't suggest he can elevate his game in the postseason. He looks like a guy who has a bad back or is still overcoming one. Another rumor, Dennis Schroeder with the Celtics going to the Bulls for Troy Brown Jr. and a second round pick, I believe is the trade suggestion. I'm going to just say suggestion. It's so laughable that when I ran it past one source, he sent me the gif of Michael Jordan from The Last Dance when he has a computer open on his lap and he's watching Gary Payton talk about being a Jordan stopper and Jordan throws his head back in laughter. Billy Donovan coach of the Bulls, coached Schroeder in Oklahoma City. Billy knows that Schroeder would not be a good fit with DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. The chemistry the Bulls are developing has promise, and Schroeder does not have a great reputation when it comes to building chemistry, and if anybody would know that, it would be Billy. After passing on Schroeder last summer when he was a free agent and readily available, and I'm told that they did discuss him on some level, there's no reason for them to revisit trading for him now. The Bulls very well could make a move to get a stopgap point guard with Lonzo Ball out and Alex Caruso out as well, but rest assured, it won't be Schroeder. The Washington Wizards are also rumored to be looking to make a deal, but it has less to do with appeasing Bradley Beal, as has been suggested. And no, they're not moving Beal, even with the rumors, again, rumors that Beal is having second thoughts about wanting to stay long term with the Wizards. The reason the Wizards would make a move is that they simply have a glut of front court players. The idea that they want to acquire DeMontis Sabonis from the Indiana Pacers, yet another front court player, and one of the rumors out there, is perplexing. GM Tommy Shepard ran into this logjam of front court players because of injuries. But now that he has Montrez Harrell, Denny Adija, Rui Hachimura, Daniel Gafford, Thomas Bryant, and Kyle Kuzma all available, they can't possibly keep everyone happy. Opposing teams would love to get one of the young guys on a rookie contract, but the Wizards are looking to move Harrell, Kuz, or Bryant and have ideally put Davis Bertans in the deal as well, because as one GM said to me this week, 
Berton's five-year, $80 million deal that he signed last summer is one of the four worst contracts in the league, on par with John Wall's four-year, $171 million deal that pays him $44 million this year and has a player option for $47 million next season. I'm not sure what happened to Bertans, but he's getting paid far more and producing far less. And that is never a healthy equation. It's also not a healthy standpoint to be compared or have your contract compared to John Walls at this stage. The Sacramento Kings veteran forward Harrison Barnes is a player I could see getting moved, and he has been in trade rumors. He's a solid vet with playoff experience is comfortable as a role player, and is being utterly wasted in Sacramento, except for the value of having a pro's pro in the locker room setting an example. Only one pro of that nature, though, is generally not enough, as is reflected by how the Kings are placing, playing, especially if that one is a notch below all-star caliber, which Harrison is. I'd love to see him in Miami, because... I think he fits their DNA, and I think they could use him. If I'm the Heat, I wouldn't think twice about trading Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson for him. Harrison shoots 40% from three and is a much better defender than either one of them is or hopes to be. I know there was a lot of early season hype on Hero and how much he has improved after last year's sophomore slump, but I don't see anything dramatically different, especially on defense. And... Robinson isn't coming close to justifying the five-year, $90 million deal he got last summer. So, for a synopsis, don't be surprised if Barnes gets moved, or the Wizards move a few frontcourt players, or the Bulls pick up a point guard. It's just not going to be the ones or the way in which they've been rumored to this point. As for Ben Simmons... Don't be surprised if he is still the property of the Philadelphia 76ers on February 11th, the day after the trade deadline. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This idea that the 76ers are in the driver's seat and are simply waiting to find out whether they're going to get Bradley Beal or Damian Lillard or any other franchise cornerstone player in replace of Simmons is nutty. What what reason would anybody want now? more than ever after Simmons has missed, not just missed the season to this point, but has been willing, content to sit out. 
I hear the same questions about John Wall and the idea that the Lakers would trade Russell Westbrook for John Wall. At least Westbrook, from the GMs that I've talked to, wants to play and plays hard. John Wall has decided that if I can't start, I have no interest in playing. I don't know any title contending team or any team that thinks that that would be an upgrade for quite literally anyone. One other reason I'm hearing that a lot of teams may wait to make deals until this summer around the draft rather than next week's deadline is because the talent at the top of the draft appears to be a lot deeper than teams and scouts originally thought. The initial thought was the first tier consisted of Chet Holmgren, Paolo Benchero, and Jabari Smith, with a decent drop-off to the next tier. And those three are still considered the first tier. But another five or six players have emerged this season that NBA talent evaluators are excited about. Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, A.J. Griffin, Johnny Davis, Benedict Matherin, and Keegan Murray. And has teams now thinking they need to see where they are in the draft and whether or not they have a shot at landing one of those players before making any moves now. But on to the topic du jour. The case of the Suns having the best record in the league yet no starters in this year's All-Star Game. How much of an injustice is it? Answer, none at all. Because there is no correlation between a team's record and who should start in the All-Star Game. Nor is there really any correlation between a team's record and the number of All-Stars it deserves. Another claim I've heard in recent days. Yes, the Atlanta Hawks, had four players named All-Stars to the 2015 game. Al Horford, Kyle Korver, Jeff Teague, and Paul Millsap. Thanks, in large part, to their league-leading 38-8 record at the time. They actually, to be fair, had three players announced as reserves, none as starters, and Korver was then selected as an injury replacement. But take a long, hard look at those four names. Did they scream All-Stars? Millsap and Horford were all-stars several other times, but for Korver and Teague, that was their only appearance. In hindsight, the Hawks getting four players named feels like a heat-of-the-moment decision, not necessarily a prudent one. The Hawks that year, much like the Suns, were the definition of a team. No one great player, but a collection of really good ones. Again, nothing about that screams all-star recognition. The Suns will be represented in this year's All-Star Game with Chris Paul and Devin Booker being named reserves, as they should have been. I've said both on TV and in this podcast that Chris Paul belongs in the MVP conversation, and if I had to fill out the five slots on my MVP ballot today, he would occupy one of them. And if he had been voted a starter, I wouldn't have had any issue with it. I actually voted for him as a starter over John Morant, which was not easy to do. But I also don't have any issue with the fact that I was in the minority. Being selected an all-star is not strictly about ability or performance, individual or otherwise. It's a combination of ability and popularity, especially when it comes to being named a starter. Being chosen as a reserve, which is decided by the coaches, 
is far more a reflection of merit. So, in a way, it's almost a greater honor as far as how a player is performing in a particular season. And when it comes down to pure performance and impact in a given season, that's what the all-NBA teams selected at the end of the year are for. As I see it, the most important person deserving recognition for where the Suns are received his, and that's Monty Williams, who will be the head coach of the LeBron James squad. What has made the Suns the best team in basketball so, so far is how they responded to losing in the finals last year by being hungry rather than emotionally hungover, and how Monty has utilized their deep and versatile roster. Mikael Bridges and DeAndre Ayton are nearly as indispensable to the Suns' success as Paul and Booker. The Suns collectively have 10 players damn near averaging double-digit points a game. They have 10 players averaging four or more rebounds a game. Their defense ranked second in the league only to the Warriors and an element rarely considered when it comes to all-star recognition is a huge reason for their league-leading record. If CP3 and Booker weren't named starters, that's on Phoenix Suns fans who didn't show up in large enough numbers to get them there. Booker was a distant fifth in fan votes for Western Conference guards, nearly half a million votes behind Klay Thompson, who didn't start playing until January. Booker was only slightly higher in the media vote, finishing fourth, and was third in player voting. Translation? No one. Not players, media, nor fans considered him starter-worthy ahead of Steph Curry and John Morant. Chris Paul had even fewer van, fan votes, slightly under a million total, finishing seventh in fan voting among Western Conference guards, third by the media, and fifth in the player voting. Again, not one voting faction had him as one of the two best guards in the Western Conference. Understandably. One of the complaints I heard about players such as Paul and Booker not getting starter recognition is that players often have bonus clauses in their contract for the honor. The argument being that they deserve those bonuses because of their play and the Suns' record and were essentially being robbed of money they had coming to them. That's not how I look at it. It's hardly a revelation that all-star voting can be fickle, that it's not always a reflection of who is playing the best in a given season. If a player agrees to an incentivized bonus in his contract rather than straight-up compensation, that's on him and his agent, not anyone else. Especially for something like all-star recognition, which is ostensibly beyond the player's control to dictate. It should also be noted that players, fans, and media alike all had Curry and Morant as first and second among Western Conference guards. There are plenty of issues that are worth getting hot and bothered about when it comes to the league in general or the all-star game in particular. This just isn't one of them. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I can't tell you right now what my next episode is going to be about. I promise that there will be one. That's as far as I will go. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.